This Word on Fire Minute is brought to you by Advantage Futures. As Catholics, we must take advantage of new technology to spread the faith. Wordonfire.org is on the front lines, featuring the work of one of the church's best messengers, Father Robert Barron. At wordonfire.org, you'll find inspirational podcasts, videos, audio sermons, books, DVDs, and the Catholicism Project. It is one of the most ambitious efforts ever to promote the Catholic faith to the world. Catholicism is Father Barron's global documentary series, filmed in high definition and now in production for TV and DVD. Father Barron's series will illustrate the beauty and depth of the church and explain the Catholic faith on our own terms. It will be an exciting new way for families, parishes, and schools to teach Catholicism. Preview the production, join our email list, and contribute to the Catholicism Project at wordonfire.org. Become part of the story today. This is Cardinal Francis George. I invite you to join me for the next few minutes to reflect with Father Robert Barron on the Word of God, which is the Word on Fire. Word on Fire Catholic Ministries is a nonprofit ministry at the forefront of Catholic evangelization, using new media to spread the faith on every continent. Father Barron challenges us to open our hearts to the Word on Fire, which is God's Word of Love for each of us. If our hearts are open, the Lord can change and transform us, so that we might speak with love about the one who is love. The global benefactors of Word on Fire, with the support of the Archdiocese of Chicago, now present Word on Fire. Peace be with you. Friends, our first reading for this weekend is one of the greatest and most devastating in the entire Bible. It has haunted the imagination of the world for 3,000 years, It stood, even more than the Exodus story, at the heart of the Israelite religious consciousness. It's called, among the Jews, the Akedah. That's Hebrew for the binding. It refers to the binding of Isaac, Abraham preparing his own son for sacrifice. The great religious philosopher Soren Kierkegaard said this was the sublimest expression in all the literature of the world of the meaning of faith. Read Kierkegaard's great book called Fear and Trembling. That's where he talks about this scene. We know the outlines of the story pretty well. Abraham is asked by God for no apparent reason, we're never given the reason for it, to sacrifice his son to him. His son Isaac, the child of his old age, and more than that, the bearer of the promise. For all those years, all those decades, Yahweh had promised to Abraham, I will make you the father of many nations. Though he was an old man, though his wife was well past childbearing age, God promised Abraham had faith. And then, against all odds, against all expectations, Isaac is born. Here was the son through whom God was going to fulfill his promise to Abraham. Therefore, and though the Bible doesn't give us the psychological details here, we can only guess at them. How utterly incredible, how utterly incomprehensible this must have been to Abraham. 
Though the Bible, as I say, is rather laconic here, the rabbinic commentators fill in the details of the story. How Abraham walked through three terrible days with his son to Mount Moriah, racked with agony and confusion. Can you imagine? Can you imagine walking with your young son? You know the purpose of this trip. He doesn't. He's probably enjoying the outing with his father. But all along, Abraham knows what's at stake. And then, on Mount Moriah, he hears that terrible question from his son. What will we sacrifice to the Lord? Where is the animal for sacrifice? How that must have torn at Abraham's heart. But the great patriarch goes through with it. He binds his son, the Akedah, he binds him to the altar and raises the knife to kill him. And only at the last moment is he stopped. The angel tells him, the Lord has tested you and found you worthy. He knows that you are faithful to him. Now, friends, I would say this. If that story doesn't bug you at the deepest level, you have not been paying attention. That story is meant to get into the crevices and corners of your mind. It's meant to get into the nooks and crannies of your heart. It's meant to bug you and disturb you, to confuse you, to confound you. That was Kierkegaard's point, by the way. Any attempt to rationalize the story, to understand it, to figure it out, it's just not going to work. You know, a couple years ago, a sort of mock trial was held. I think it was in New York City. Lawyers came forward to argue the case of Abraham. Was he guilty of attempted manslaughter? The verdict came back, yes. And, of course, wouldn't most of us agree with that? If you stumbled upon this scene, you saw a father raising a knife about to kill his son, wouldn't you stop him? And once you stopped him, wouldn't you arrest him and wouldn't you charge him with a crime? What I love about this story is it shows the strangeness and religious seriousness of what we're talking about in the Bible. Well, how do we begin to understand it? How can we begin, anyway, to make some sense of it? Is God just capricious here, just cruel, toying with his people as a cat toys with a mouse? Does God test us in this finally arbitrary way? The answer to that, I think, is clearly no. What we have to do is we have to situate this story in the context of the great theological fact of creation. One of the most elemental affirmations about God in the Bible is that God is a creator, in fact, the creator of all that exists. Everything that exists is from God. And this means, friends, something given as a pure gift. As I've said many times before, God does not need the world in any way. God does not benefit from the world. Rather, he gives the totality of the world as a sheer grace. Whatever we have, therefore, whatever we are, is, as it were, on loan from God. 
It exists from God and totally for the purposes of God. How long do things exist? Precisely as long as God is pleased to allow them to exist. How long do we have what we have? Precisely as long as it pleases God to let us have them. We have talents and powers because God has deigned to give them to us. We breathe and we live because God is pleased to give us breath and life. Now, I know most of us would we'd affirm that, sure, abstractly and theologically. Yeah, I know that's true. I think part of what it means to be a saint is not just to know the truth of that, but to live the truth of that. See, to let that truth sink into your bones, let it determine the way you live. We don't have or own or control anything. Everything exists in God and for God. To be a saint, to be a person of faith, is to know this and to live radically out of this consciousness. Let me say that again. I think it's the hinge for this story. To be a person of faith, and see, Abraham is the father of faith. He's the model of faith. To be a person of faith is to know this truth and to live radically out of this new consciousness. Now, I know the difficulty is so much of this is just counterintuitive. We like to be masters of our own domain. You know, we work hard for things, and so they belong to us. They're pleasing to us, and so we cling to them. We want them. We want to possess them and have them. But see, friends, the problem is this backs us into a difficult and dangerous spiritual corner. Here's why. No matter how much we think this is true, no matter how much we want it to be true, it just isn't. And if we don't adjust to it, listen now, life will force us to adjust to it. Why? All the goods that we have, all the talents that are ours, will eventually fade away. Oh, sometimes gradually, sometimes suddenly, sometimes relatively fairly, sometimes unfairly. But no matter what, everything we have, everything we are, will in time be stripped from us. You know, the longer you live, the truer this this is, isn't it? We come into our prime. We're able to do many things. We're in possession of many things. Wealth and talent, control, power. But then you know as you move through life, it's taken from you. You become weaker. Your talents are, are stripped from you. All that you have is gradually or suddenly taken. And all of it finally is taken away in the dreadful fact of death. We don't control anything finally. We don't own anything finally. All of being is on loan from God. To be a person of faith is to know this truth in one's bones and then actively to cooperate with it. 
Now, come back to the Abraham story. It means that one is willing to sacrifice, yes, even what one loves the most. One is willing to offer it back to God. And that is precisely what the sacrifice of Isaac is about. Abraham, in the most vivid way possible, acknowledging that Isaac was and is a gift, and so he's able to sacrifice him, to offer him to God. Now, you might be wondering, okay, well, what really is the payoff of all of this? Even if I accept the metaphysical truth that all things are from God and ultimately for God, what does it benefit me to surrender to it? Maybe I should, like the existentialists, resist it. Maybe I should say, yeah, I, I, I know that's true. I don't have things forever. I know that death finally swallows it up. But maybe I should just shake my fist at the world. I should resist as long as possible. The great message of the Bible is no to that. Why? Because your being increases in the measure that you give it back to God. Life actively surrendered to God is enhanced and multiplied. There's that law of the gift I've talked about before. Talked about before. Do you hear how this is affirmed in the first reading? Listen. I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you, Abraham, acted as you did, I will bless you abundantly and make your descendants as countless as the stars of the sky. Now, friends, don't read this in some arbitrary way as though God were just given this, or Abraham is given this reward for his surrender. Rather, read this as a kind of spiritual physics. When we let go of our lives and we give them to God, offering them for God's purposes, our lives become richer, more joyful, more abundant. God is not toying with us, not playing arbitrary games with us. Rather, through this great story, he's inviting us into a healthy spiritual stance. Think now, as we get Lent underway, everything you've got, everything you are, belongs finally not to you. It belongs to God. It's on loan to you. But be willing at every moment to offer it for God's purposes, turning it over to God. Then the high paradox. You will find your life much more joyful. You will find your life richer in the process. There, I think, friends, is the great spiritual lesson of this terrible story of the Akedah. And God bless you. I hope you were moved today by the word on fire. I pray that together we might become a people on fire with love for God and neighbor here in Chicago and wherever these words are heard. Until we join Father Barron again next week, I'm Cardinal Francis George, and I pray that God will bless you and those you love. 